We had a slight problem with the microphones this morning, and so the introduction of the message hasn't been recorded. So what I'm going to do is just re-record the introduction now, and then hopefully be able to splice that in with the message. So you will hear the sound change at a certain point, and I think that's the moment where we'll be going live, as opposed to uh, not live. All right, so let's, let's see how that goes. So we're in a series called Good News Now. It's a series that's birthed out of the Gospel of Mark, a document that I think is absolutely revolutionary. We said a couple of weeks ago as we launched the series that when Mark sat down to write this document, he started a revolution. You see, when he began the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he, he launched a whole new type of writing, a gospel, a good news. It wasn't a biography. It was, it was a, a story or an account of the, the God of the universe stepping into our world to encounter us, to fight our fight and to rescue us from sin. And so when Mark wrote his gospel, he was really launching a revolution. You see, what comes after Mark is Matthew, Luke, and John get hold of his book, his document, and then they do the same thing. And those four get collected together and become a body of writings that then you add some letters on, and before you know it, you have our New Testament. And the New Testament has been the Word of God that has transformed this world. This really is a revolutionary document from Mark. And so it's exciting for us to be looking at it. And as we look at it, we see the reality of a God stepping in. God stepping into our world to be involved in our lives and to transform everything. Last week, Ron uh, took us beyond John the Baptist. After John the Baptist was arrested, the last of the uh, preparers of the way, if you like, the one who came right before the greater one, who is Jesus. John the Baptist was arrested, and then Jesus began his ministry. Jesus uh, began preaching. He began proclaiming that uh, people should repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, it was a call to people to turn. To turn from a world that's inherently uh, broken, inherently upside down to the very core of what we're all about. Everything's just wrong way up. Everything's inside out. Everything's self-absorbed, self-concerned, self, self, self. And, and Jesus stepped in to show us and to turn us right side up. He came and he proclaimed that people should repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. So instead of living for the kingdom of self and the uh, success of self, and the career of self, and the everything of self, Jesus calls people to turn right side up, and to turn to him in repentance, and to turn from self-absorption to self-giving, from self-concern to self-sacrifice. And what we saw last week as Ron was preaching to us was uh, that Jesus began by getting together his leadership group, an unlikely group of people. There were four men, four fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And let's just think about them for a minute. I don't know uh, if, if you can relate to them uh, in some way, but Peter, Andrew, James and John were not the bright, impressive individuals. They weren't the ones that sat at the front in the synagogue and, uh, and, and on Sabbath school. They didn't sit there walking around, I should say, with a big old pile of scrolls and wearing little glasses, you know, and whatever they had in those days. They weren't the ones that were sitting on the front with their hands in the air knowing the right answers. They were the ones sat at the back. 
and sitting at the back, ripping up their scrolls, making spit wads and throwing them on the ceiling. They were distracted by each other. They were longing to get back to normal life. That is, get back to the beach, get back to the nets and get back to fishing. And so when the time came, uh, Bar Mitzvah, age 13, for example, when the time came for the brightest and the best to approach the rabbi and to ask the rabbi for the privilege of becoming a follower of the rabbi, Peter, Andrew, James and John knew that that was not a privilege that was open to them. They knew that that was not an invitation that was there for them to take advantage of. And so Peter and Andrew, James and John, instead of being able to do that, instead of going to the rabbi, they knew that wasn't open to them. Instead, they headed back to the beach. They went back to to the family business, back to fishing. There's a good work and there's a work that would keep them busy and occupied for the next years. But it wasn't the privileged position of being a follower, a disciple of the rabbi. And this was their lot in life. This was the kind of thing they'd have expected from day one. And so it was no real disappointment. But as they worked that job, eventually the day came when Jesus showed up right next to their boat. And when Jesus came and he he spoke to them and they maybe had heard about him from John's disciples, perhaps they'd been influenced in things they'd heard. But somehow Jesus came along and Jesus initiated and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he invited them to, in effect, repent, to turn from the kingdom of self and be part of the kingdom of God, to go from the upside down brokenness of this world and to step into the world put right side up, Jesus style. They wouldn't have known what it meant to be fishers of men, but instead of fishing for their own profit and for their own survival, instead they were going to be put to work to serve God and to be part of what God was doing, giving of themselves. Now, the reality is that we don't read about the disciples actually being sent out into ministry for another couple of chapters. What we're looking at this morning in Mark chapter 1 is actually the the disciples with Jesus. Mark does this amazing thing as really concluding his introduction from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. What he does is he gives a summary of a day just a 24-hour period there's about seven episodes in this 24-hour period and it's a day in the life of it's an opportunity for a day in the life of jesus to be demonstrated for the sake of those four disciples and for our sake too you see here's the thing and this is why this is so relevant to us this morning if we are buying into what jesus is doing if we are being invited by him then it's important for us to grasp just what it is that he is all about. I mean, think about that just for a moment. Uh, some of us here may be new believers. You might say, well, I, I don't really know yet. I'm still still learning. This is great. This is perfect for you. You get to put on your sandals and walk with Peter, Andrew, James and John and watch Jesus in action. You get to spend a day with him and learn from him. Maybe you'd say, actually, I've been a Christian for decades now. Great. I think this passage is for us because you know what happens? Life tends to get a little bit kind of predictable, doesn't it? We kind of get into a rut, into a rhythm. And so we we have this thing where we do life and we do church and we do Sundays and we do the rest of the week and we do our careers and we do Jesus stuff. and, And we can fall into this pattern of just doing a bit of this and a bit of that along the way. Now, here's the thing. Whether we're a new believer or we've been a believer for years, If we spend time with these four disciples watching Jesus in action, what we're going to discover 
is that Jesus' call to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be part of this selfless, others-focused, self-giving reality, it really is impressive. It's all-encompassing. Now, don't think that this is just saying you need to leave your job and, and kind of go into ministry. The reality is that there are some people who are in so-called full-time ministry who are 100% wrong in their motivations. And there are other people who are in normal careers, in normal jobs, who are 100% right in their motivations and vice versa. And so as we see Jesus in action, the, the reality is that we can go into our week this week and we can say, OK, Lord, what's next here? Here, I'm with you. I'm joining you. What comes next? Because that's what this passage is inviting us to. It's not inviting us to watch Jesus and then to go out and do likewise. It's not some kind of pressure on us to perform. This passage is a glimpse into a day in the life of Jesus, the Messiah. And we get to watch him in action and, and we get to recognize that actually this is what Jesus is doing even now. Uh, we're, we're, we're here at Trinity Chippenham and we're all about joining Jesus in what he is doing to reach Chippenham. As we move forward as a church, it's not us that's going to reach people. It's going to be Jesus. It's not our efforts that are going to accomplish things. It's going to be Jesus at work. And we're invited to join in. That's a massive privilege. And we see that as we look at the passage. Notice that in verse 21, it says they went into Capernaum. And then down at the bottom of the passage in verse, uh, oh, near the end, verse 31, the passage ends, the verse ends with them. This is a passage about they and them. Jesus and his followers. But at the same time, it's all about Jesus. They aren't going to do anything. They're just observing. They're just learning. They're just coming to terms with what it means to step into Jesus's world. Now, Mark, as he wrote this, wrote this in a very particular way. There's a word that he uses 41 times in this gospel. Let me just illustrate this. You, you know uh, Blockbuster. You remember Blockbuster Video? It was a business, you know, back in the day that used to exist. You remember walking into Blockbuster Video, you'd have all the, the different categories of films. You'd have the big wall of new releases, which was their big business. And that's why they went out of business. But that's, that's another story for another time. But then you get the categories, the different sections of films. There's the horror, which I you know, couldn't handle those. And uh, what else was there? There was uh, romance. <laughs> yep. And there was drama, kind of the old Tudor dressed up stuff and uh, or crime or whatever, thriller, you know, that kind of thing. And there's another category. And if I call on the men, I know that a man can answer. What's the other category? That's right. Action. It's the action section, action adventure. And that's Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is the action adventure gospel because 41 times in the course of writing out his gospel he uses the word immediately this is high octane stuff no stuntmen needed just immediately 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 and it creates this high intensity edge of your seat kind of a story in fact look at the passage we're going to look at this morning verse 21 it says right in the middle there immediately verse 20 three and immediately verse uh, 29 and immediately and then ooh, verse 30 immediately this is high action high octane high intensity drama this is 
action adventure. <laughs> if Mark was writing his gospel, his book, to be on any shelf, it was to be in the action adventure section of blockbuster documents back in the day. Okay, so let's look at this. And what we're going to find here is an answer to a very simple question. What is the ministry of Jesus? What is the profile of the ministry of Jesus that we are invited into? We're going to see three things. There's three aspects, three facets, three elements, three ingredients, if you like, that mix together to make the ministry of Jesus. And so let's look at the first one, verse 21. It says they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, Mark doesn't tell us much about Jesus' teaching. He doesn't tell us whether he used parables or whether he pulled out a scroll from um, Isaiah and started claiming that as, as his own or, or what he did. We're not given details. What we're told is that when Jesus spoke, the people were astonished. The people in that synagogue, they were just, whoa, that was amazing. They were astonished by what they heard. And the reason for that was when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. He wasn't like the scribes. The scribes would come in and they'd try to prove their case and they'd quote from here and quote from there and their quotes would be all over the place, you know, and they'd, they'd be trying to support what they were saying to try to prove themselves. When Jesus spoke, he just said it like it was. When Jesus spoke, the truth flowed. When Jesus spoke, people were, were gripped. He spoke as if, as if he were the authority, as if he were speaking for God himself. Now, what is this ministry of teaching? Just think about it. We're living in a world that is completely inside out and upside down. We're living in a world where everything is corrupted and where we're getting constant messages all week long for our entire lives that are contradictory to the reality of what God says uh, is truth. You better believe that Jesus has a teaching ministry. He needs to make sense of things for people. He needs to point them in the right direction. He needs to show them right from wrong. And most of all, he needs to reveal to them who God is. Who is God? What does it mean to be made in his image? What is this sin problem? How can we be saved from it? This is all content. This is all material that Jesus needed to teach. And so Jesus te teaches that and he still teaches it. Here we are 2,000 years later. Can you imagine? Can you even begin to imagine what your life would be like, what my life would be like, if we'd never received any teaching from the Bible, if we had no idea what the truth is? Our lives would be as big of a mess as any criminal or as any messy situation we see about on TV or here, if it weren't for the instruction that comes from Jesus. And so this is a really critical thing that is still at work today. And as we think about heading out into Chippenham with the gospel, we're heading out to a community of people that need to have upside down worlds put right side up. We're heading out to people who at this time uh, don't have a clarity or an understanding about the things that matter. But we're going out to teach with Jesus because he's the teacher. He's the one that helps people to see things clearly. So that's the first part of the ministry of Jesus. It's a teaching ministry. And then we come to the next bit. Verse 23. It says, Immediately 
there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That's quite dramatic. You can imagine that, can't you? Sitting in the synagogue and Jesus is teaching and suddenly there's this great interruption as this man with an unclean spirit begins to speak. I'm not a fan of big interruptions when I'm preaching. I'm not a a fan of of, of things kind of, you know, throwing everybody into a spin and the adrenaline rising. It's no fun to have a demonic manifestation in the middle of a sermon, I would imagine. But that's what happened here. Let's transition back to the recording from this morning. It's, it's, it's really, a, it gets your adrenaline pumping, I would imagine. It must be really a frightening thing. And, and suddenly Jesus is speaking and there's this man who's got this unclean spirit at work in him, controlling him. And he cries out. Notice a couple of things here. First of all, notice that the, the demon, the unclean spirit, recognizes Jesus. There's no good versus evil kind of you know, who's going to win, tussle back and forth. That's not something that, that, you know, we find in Scripture. God's the winner. God's in charge. And this demon just recognizes who he is straight away. You're the Holy One of Israel. Just knows it. But what does Jesus do? He's really harsh. He's really strong here. But where it says in our Bibles, be silent and come out of him, literally what he's saying is shut up. You stop talking now. He's not going to give this unclean spirit any space to function. And he's ready to shut it down and get it out. Now, from the perspective of the man who had the unclean spirit, that's an incredibly compassionate thing to do. Here he is completely trapped by the enemy, completely gripped in the power of darkness. And Jesus deals with it just like that. Sets him free, releases him. At the same time, it's an encounter between uh, the forces of God and the forces of evil. And that's something we see time and again through the Gospels, isn't it? As Jesus comes face to face with people whose lives are gripped by demonic power. And the enemy wants to do anything he can to thwart what Jesus is all about. Here's Jesus preaching in Capernaum. This is a big moment. This is kind of the launch of the ministry. And so the enemy's right there, ready to attack. You might say, well, we don't get that today. Where we live in our circles, demonic manifestations are not really a big feature. And that's true. Certainly, uh, there are places in the world where it's a bigger deal. I remember teaching in Kenya and a student, one of the pastors in the room, asked a question about how would you deal with a demon. And I knew that they had and I hadn't. I said, well, I don't know personally, but I'll tell you what I think the Bible says. And so I explained what I thought the Bible said about it. And the older guy at the back, who was kind of an apostle or some high up title, thankfully I'd won him by this stage in the week because he was Mr. Powerful in the, in the group dynamic. And he said, the young man said it right. I was like, thank you. That's a relief. <laughs> I wouldn't want to argue with them, although I would stand on scripture on this. 
But you see, they, in some countries, in some cultures, it's still a, a primary kind of um, strategy of the enemy. Do some manifestations, create some abnormalities. I've got friends who are in contexts where they have weird things happen. And it, it's supposed to be a scare tactic. I think it's supposed to paralyze people and to cripple them and to stop them from functioning. I think the enemy's learned that that doesn't work so well in Enlightenment West. In the West since the Enlightenment, for the most part, I think the enemy has taken a different strategy. He'd much rather convince us that he doesn't exist than scare us with an incident, for the most part. Now, I don't think that's necessarily going to stay that way. As we shift culturally to a sort of post-modern, post-enlightenment, greater spirituality, greater awareness of those kind of things, I think we're probably going to get more and more stuff like this going on. And as we do, what do we do? Well, we've got to deal with it. I can assure you, if there were demonic manifestations in this community, in this context, we would deal with it and we would communicate about it and it wouldn't, wouldn't sidetrack us, wouldn't create an issue. What we do need to be wary of, though, is this. The enemy knows that there are other strategies, other ways to undermine what Jesus is trying to do in Trinity Chippenham. The enemy would love to get into the tight, close fellowship that we have and bring division. That could achieve as much as any demonic manifestation. The enemy would love to get in and bring discord to set one person off against another, to create factions and rivalries and tensions between us. We need to be alert. We need to have our radar beeping to recognize that actually not everything is neutral. We're in a world where unseen forces are proactively evil and proactively against what Jesus wants to do right here in our midst. Let's be alert to that. Let's not be the kind of people that end up... uh, pulling the church backwards by our own naivety as we kind of naively join in behind the scenes critiques or little cliques or little groups and little political squabbles. That's the enemy at work. And we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and we need to resist the work of the enemy because he would love to derail what is starting right here. Jesus came face to face and dealt with it. He didn't pretend it wasn't happening. He didn't ignore it. He faced it as a reality that we are in a world that is controlled by the prince of the power of the air. We're in a world where the God of this age is at work. Just think about it, not just for us, but what about the people we're going to meet? Our friends, neighbors, family, the people who uh, hopefully will join us here, the people that we'll go out to, hopefully people who'll come to evangelistic Bible studies. How are they going to be reached? Is it pure information? Not at all. In the Bible, in 2 Corinthians, it says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they can't see it. That means when we share the gospel, when we proclaim the kingdom of God, however we want to phrase it, we are going into a situation where there is the forces of evil against what we're trying to do. And it takes God to break through that. It takes God to open the eyes of the blind. Surely that means we need to be a praying church, doesn't it? 
It would be utterly naive of us to say, right, what's our strategy? Well, let's make sure that we're a very welcoming environment. Let's make sure that people park over that way to leave parking spaces there. That's a good idea. You know, let's make sure that we fill from the front so there's spaces at the back. That's a great idea. And let's have a very friendly presentation and then people will get saved. No, they won't. We should do that kind of stuff and we'll talk more about that kind of thing. But people are going to get saved when God breaks in. People are going to get saved in answer to prayer. We need to be a praying church, praying for neighbors and friends and colleagues and family, praying for strangers that could come in based on a website or even based on a sign. We need to be praying because it's a, a, a God against the forces of evil when we're about God's business in this world. Let me encourage you, get some people together, whether it's your family or some friends, if you have someone over, just take a few minutes and pray. And plead with God, come before God, because he's on our side. We don't have to twist his arm, but, but we could show him that we're serious. We could show him that we're dependent. We could show him that we're, we're what's the word? We're, we're brought into, we're caught up with his agenda. And spending some time together in prayer would be such a valuable thing as we move forward here. So here's the ministry of Jesus profile. There's the teaching, instruction, communication, number one. Number two, there's the fighting and rescuing people from the forces of evil. There's the deliverance ministry, if you like. And then number three comes in verse 29. It says here that immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, in, in Capernaum, if you go there, there's, there's two buildings of note. It's right by the Sea of Galilee. It's uh, kind of an extended village, really, but there's a few thousand people live there. You've got a synagogue, and it's a later synagogue, but it's built on the same site as the original one, so that's cool. So there's a synagogue, and you come out of the synagogue, which isn't enclosed. It's just kind of the walls thereof, and you come out, and, and I think, if my memory serves me rightly, it's about 50 yards down between a couple of houses that would have been there and you come to this other one what's there now is a sort of octagonal place of worship that's been built over a chapel that was built presumably on the site of this house so it's a bit of a you know historical progression but basically what you've got is this synagogue and immediately you get to this house and so you can imagine Jesus doing ministry in the synagogue, the days wearing on into the afternoon, heads over to Peter's house. And in Peter's house is Peter and Andrew and James and John. And then we get told that Simon, Peter's mother-in-law, lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. Now, this is a bit of a contrast, isn't it? Jesus has been in the synagogue. It's been a, uh, an impressive teaching program. It's been a, a really impressive encounter with a, a demonic, uh, demonically possessed individual. And so you've had the teaching, you've had the deliverance. Now he's in private. He's in a home. And there's an individual again, but it's, it's in that culture, it's just a woman. Right? In that culture, in their way of thinking, in those days, a woman wasn't valued in the same way as a man. That's kind of the fruit of an upside down broken world where women are worth less or children are worth less or the elderly are worth less or, or people who aren't able to give as much are worth less. Now, that's the way the world works, isn't it? It's not the way Jesus works. That's not his economy or his values. And so when he hears that Simon's mother-in-law is lying ill with a fever, it's not a big show because he's not about the show. 
He just goes to her. And what does it say? Verse 31, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That's what she would wanted to do to be hospitable as people had come into her home. But she couldn't because she was ill. And you know the frustration when you can't do what you want to do. And Jesus tenderly comes and lifts her up. No show, no pomp, no Twitter hashtag, just just got it done. And actually, if you look back at the incident in the synagogue, you've got demons crying out that you're the Holy One of Israel. And Jesus is saying, be quiet. I'm not here to spread my own fame. He's not about the show. He's not about impressing people. He's not about what people think of him. I think as you go through these passages and you see Jesus healing and delivering and caring, it is born out of his compassion. It's not his agenda. It's not because he's trying to to impress the world. It's because he's hurting at a hurting world. And so there's the third facet of his ministry. Teaching, deliverance, compassion, care. And that's what we're invited into. We're invited to to leave the world of our own net. The things that we've entangled ourselves with. The things that that are kind of all-encompassing and and keep us self-concerned and self-focused. And we're invited to join Jesus in what he's doing. And for most of us, that means joining him in what he's doing within our jobs. That's perfectly okay. You know, there's nothing inherently spiritual about giving up your job in order to, you know, do ministry stuff. There are people in the world doing ministry stuff 100% for the wrong motive. There are people in the world who are working a normal job 100% with the right motive and vice versa. The location's not the, not the issue. It's the, the direction of the heart, isn't it? It's the, Lord, what have you got for me today? What are we doing next? Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, immediately, what's next? There's an urgency about Mark's gospel. There's an action adventure sense to what's going on here. And we're invited to join the disciples and watch Jesus as he goes through these ministries, teaching and deliverance and, and compassion. And we're invited to join him in that. Whether or not we're teachers, we get to be part of a a church in this world that is proclaiming truth and communicating what is right to a world that's upside down. Even though we can't deliver people from demons and we don't want to come up against Satan face to face in our own strength, we get to be a part of what God is doing in a ministry of delivering people from the forces of evil. And even though we cannot heal or, or, or fix every problem we come up against, we can represent a God who cares and show compassion and concern and love for the weak and the small and the hurt and the broken. And that's the ministry. That's what Trinity Chippenham is here for, isn't it? So that we can join Jesus in what Jesus is doing. Teaching, deliverance, compassion rescuing people, pointing them to Christ, pointing them to God, pointing them to having their worlds turned right side up. And we get to see lives transformed. What an incredible privilege that is. I wonder what the disciples did at this point. I can imagine after a day like that, they probably were looking at each other thinking, man, I thought fishing was hard work. 
you know, fish all day, all night, whatever. You have to mend the nets. I mean, that's big, you know, tiresome work. Sometimes you get that, don't you? You switch from kind of a hard, real labor type work, and then you go to an office, and you go, why am I tired? I haven't done anything. I've just been watching a screen. Well, that's kind of what they've done. They've kind of gone from fishing to just watching the Messiah, and they're probably sitting there thinking to themselves, man, this was tiring. If this is a normal day, wow. And it was. Welcome to the world of walking with Jesus. A a world where it's about other people and what they need. It's about responding to people who are hurting. It's about caring for those who have nothing to give back. It seems hard. Just imagine them sitting there. Uh, Simon's mother-in-law is now busily going in and out of the kitchen, you know, bringing falafel or whatever she was bringing to them and cups of tea or whatever. And they're sitting there. Maybe they've put their feet up on the poof, you know, if they had those in those days. And they're just relaxing because it's been a long, hard day. And the sun's going down and it's coming to the end of the Sabbath. And then there's a knock on the door. Just a short while after they've started to relax and take stock and evaluate and think it through. And then we come to verse 32. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Isn't that frustrating? You ever had a day like that? You work super hard, you get home, the moment you put your feet up, the phone rings and you've got to go out and fix something. Or there's a knock on the door and you've got to go do something. There's a crisis, there's an issue, and why now? That's how Jesus must have felt, surely. It was sundown, and they're in this weirdly kind of almost twisted kind of way, the way it worked with the law in the Old Testament and the Jewish religion was that the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to work. You're supposed to rest, right? But the way they kind of moved with that meant that you couldn't really care for people. And, and so it's almost ironic. The moment the guy is shutting the door of the synagogue and locking it because business is done for the week, Everyone else springs into action and brings the hurting to Jesus. When religion shuts its doors, Jesus keeps on giving. Isn't that beautiful? When when the, the business of the Sabbath was over and the rabbi was heading home for his cup of tea and his late night snack, everyone else is in the streets because once the sun goes down, Sabbath is finished, they can start carrying. And what do they carry? They carry their their father, their mother, their uncle, their aunt, their cousin, their brother, their sister, their child, the one who's hurting, their neighbor, their friend, and they bring them to Jesus. And there's a knock on the door. And when Jesus of all people is ready for a rest, he's invited outside to see the streets packed with hurting people. And this wouldn't have been a two minute kind of, you know, wave the arm kind of a healing moment. I I think he would have dealt with these individually. That was his pattern face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And it says that he delivered many. Uh, Verse 34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. More of the same. And I imagine if, if the whole city had come, You've got maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people squeezed in between the houses and they're all there. Jesus, Jesus, can you help my friend? Can you help my mom? Jesus, this man's got a demon. And Jesus, one by one, took care of each one because that's the kind of Jesus we have. 
a Jesus who goes down and who goes out, who gives himself away even when it's inconvenient. I love that about my Jesus. I love the fact that it's never the wrong time. It's never inconvenient for him to care for us. And he invites us to be the same as we represent him to this world. Often I'm the last or one of the last here on a Sunday. And uh, it's kind of, it's a weird feeling to kind of walk through and make sure that everything that shouldn't be here isn't here. You know, it'd be a disaster if Elliot left his bike or something. So just going to walk through and make sure there's nothing left and turn the lights off and, and try to leave it as well as we can because the people who, you know, host us, we want them to have good thoughts about us. And just to kind of wander through, lights off and the doors shut. Is that it for the week? Is that Trinity Chippenham done? Or is that us just beginning? As we head out from here, if we're with Jesus, we're just beginning. Because Jesus gives, and he gives, and he gives. And then when it's tired and inconvenient and, and unfortunate timing and just, you know, what's about to start on the telly, and then he gives some more. And he invites us to join him. And to be part of the body of Christ that gives and gives and gives itself away for the sake of others. Because no one else in this world is like that. In a world captivated by self, in a world turned upside down so that I become the king of my own universe. Then I will do what's best for me and you'll do what's best for you. And the world's life will just kind of grind to a halt and will end up in a world that feels dead. But Jesus steps in and says, no, no, no. This was designed to be given away. Watch me. Follow me. Join me in what I do. There's the profile. It's not comfortable, is it? You imagine walking with those disciples through that day, through the synagogue, into the house, out of the house after dark. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. It was radically different. But it was right. There was something inherently right about it, even though they'd never experienced this before, because this is God in action in the world he created to be a world of self-giving, not grabbing. And he leads the way. It's the kind of God that we have. And when religion shuts the door, when religion is done for the week, Jesus keeps on giving. And we're invited to follow him. And to join him and to be with him, giving ourselves away to each other and also to the community around so that this world around us, Trinity, Chippenham, Chippenham, but also the world beyond, we want them to come to know the one who is life itself.